Hello and welcome to YHTV's nominated show, Magical Medical Tour. This is episode 85. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Christina Suzuma, and with me is our wonderful medical guide, Dr. Glenn Woolman. Hello, Dr. Woolman. Hello, Christina. <laughs> You're all snuggled up there in this brisk weather that we're having. Yeah, you know, uh, once it goes below 80 for me, it's starting to, I start layering <laughs> in my clothing. But then I, I watched a video the other day of a couple in uh, northern Canada where they were, <laughs> they were out. It was minus 48 degrees and they were out in the snow playing around blowing bubbles, you know, in a bubble machine kind of thing and looking at how bubbles affect are affected by the cold. And But I was freezing just watching it. <laughs> I thought you'd feel a lot warmer watching that. <laughs> no, no, no. Maybe we'll find out why today. <laughs> Greetings, everybody. Welcome. I'm Dr. Glenn Wallman. I am your medical guide, and I'll be your co-host along with Christina today on Magical Medical Tour as we travel through another quadrant of the healthcare galaxy searching for optimal health. And today, we have a, a returning uh, visitor, Kabir Southwick. He's our returning champion, actually, in Ayurvedic uh, medicine. He's uh, a professional health consultant, an Ayurvedic and naturopathic practitioner. He's an herbalist and a formulator. He's a speaker, public speaker, and an author. And I would recommend to anybody that's watching this show that you go back to uh, episode 33, uh, 83, excuse me, and uh, watch that show for an introduction. So without further ado, I would like to reintroduce Kabir Southwick. Good afternoon. Good morning, Kabir. Hello, Kabir. Good, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I'm here. And I'd also like everyone to know that uh, during this presentation, you can feel free to ask a question or make a comment just by scrolling down on your screen and typing it into the comment box. And you can do this even if you're uh, listening to the show after, and we'll make sure that we get your comments or questions over to our guest. So type away. We have, I'm sure you all have lots of questions today. Definitely. I think so. Kabir, how are you? Oh, very good. Thank you. You know, I have to ask you a question. Uh, looking out at the day, we're going to be speaking about uh, the Ayurvedic body types. Do you ever look outside and say, ah, it's a pitta day or a vata day? Anything like that ever? Well, of course, in uh, Ayurveda, the season is an important consideration. Uh, so uh, this does uh, uh, is a factor in formulating somebody's uh, diet, the temperature, the actual seasons. We're going to get into that today. Um, but I want to, as the medical guide, I always like to tell our guests uh, where we hope to be going. Last week or last episode with Kabir, we had a general introduction to Ayurveda, and we wanted to go more in depth today uh, into the actual body types and how they affect us and how we affect them and things that we need to know. And I know that our viewers range from Ayurvedic practitioners to people that maybe are just starting to hear the word and want to understand a little more. So as we go along today, hopefully we're going to be able to give information to both some of the deeper esoteric things that Kabir can certainly share with us. But we also want to look at practical things for our, our viewers and participants so that they can come away with some things. Uh, even not knowing too much about it. But, of course, they'll learn more today. How's that sound to you, Kabir? Sounds good. I'm ready. Ready? All right. <laughs> so let just, just as an introduction into the body types, which is going to be our focus today, uh, can you give more of a history of how the body types came about? When does someone have a body type? Is it a, Do they get the same body type in a past life? Is it at conception? Is it at birth? How did it all come about as to body types itself? And then we'll go into the specifics. Well, you could consider a body type a constitutional type, um, your overall constitution of your uh, body. And this is formed in the womb. So uh, technically, 
Um, you could determine somebody's uh, body type or constitution or an Ayurveda term, sadosha, um, in the mother's womb. It could actually be quite distinct, the type of uh, child um, in the mother's womb by the characteristics and the behavior of the uh, fetus. Uh, that brings up an interesting point for me. Uh, would If you did know that, and then you knew that the mother's body type was a certain type, should the mother be considering eating foods that would be for her body type to nourish her? Or should she do a combination to start nourishing the baby for its body type? Well, that's an interesting question. Uh, but of course, a, a, a pregnant woman has a particular nutritional needs, and uh, she should address her own needs um, uh, accordingly during her pregnancy. The, um, using the uh, knowledge of Ayurveda for the uh, healthy diet of the child would not necessarily be uh, implemented until the child started uh, weaning from the mother's milk. Huh. Uh, it's interesting. I had never thought of that before, but as you were saying that, it seemed to see if there was an influence. So we we now know that the body types start uh, in the uterus. And tell us about the body types. Uh, well, there's uh, the three uh, distinct types of vata, pitta, and kapha, and then there's the subcategories. I think uh, of of combinations uh, pitta vata pitta uh, kapha uh, vata pitta vata uh, kapha and uh, uh, tridoshic all three and uh, these combinations are more common than somebody having a single dominant uh, dosha but for conversation purposes and to understand it we'll talk uh, about the uh, doshas individually pitta vata. So let's take one. Pick one. Uh, well, uh, vata. Uh, vata is uh, represented by air, and this type of body type, or we could say it's really the dosha is a, a, a reflection of the digestive system's strength and weaknesses. So, ah. based on the type of digestive system that you have, this will determine your type of body that's. Formed because based on different strengths and weaknesses of the digestive system will determine your ability to absorb, utilize certain nutrients, and uh, which foods will be more attractive to you in your life. And ultimately, this will form your body type or shape later in life. Uh, so for the vata type, they are generally thin people, dry uh, dry skin. Uh, the doshas are based on what are called uh, gunas or qualities. A heavy light, heavy on one side, light on the other side. This is one. So, so the vata is light. They're thin, light. Uh, and uh, then there's the dry and moist. This is the dry skin, a tendency for drier uh, bowel movements. And then the other side, the other uh, compatible guna is uh, uh, moist, which would be oily skin and uh, a more moist uh, bowel movements. And then there's also uh, hot and cold. And the vata would be a cold, cooler body temperature, colder skin, uh, cold hands and feet. So the vata is basically light, dry, and cold. So these are thin, uh, active people who are very uh, active in the morning. And uh, they have very sensitive digestive system, tendency towards constipation, uh, become tired more in the afternoon, and uh, think a lot and have a very active mind and tend to have uh, insomnia and uh, anxiety when they're in balance. So it seems to me that probably as people are listening to or watching the show, uh, they're, they're trying to analyze themselves, and, you're, and someone might go, oh, yeah, I have dry skin, and, I have, and my hands are cold. But then suddenly they go, no, I never get anxious. Uh, is that when it, you know, when they start looking for the different things, is that when it becomes that you're more of a combination rather than a pure 
Vata, something like that? Well, uh, there's many factors that could, of course, produce dry skin. Just dehydration uh, would uh, create dry skin. So sometimes you, you, there's the uh, what you're uh, born with and then what you become, your, con- your existing condition. This would be the uh, prakriti and vikriti. The, so you have an existing condition as well. So you could have an existing condition such as dry skin or oily skin uh, that is not uh, in line with your uh, original body type. Or dosha. Okay. How? Okay. So, uh, anything else with the uh, vata, or do we want to go to another for a moment? Um, yeah, we could do each one, and then we could uh, uh, round them out. Uh, uh, pitta, which uh, represents a fire and heat. These type of people are uh, very easily distinguished by the fact that they have a warmer body temperature. These are the people that you um, hug or touch, and they feel very warm. Often they're in relationships, they're told to go warm the bed up first. <laughs> so this is a, a distinct quality of the pitta. They're warm, and the people who are warm, they know this, that they are warmer. Uh, pitta children, for example, uh, throw the covers off, and the mother keeps uh, being concerned about covering them up. They don't want to wear jackets, and they're perfectly fine outside with a tank top when other people are wearing jackets. So they're a distinct feature is their warmth. The Greeks uh, referred to this type as the uh, mesomorph and uh, considered them the true and uh, athlete because they are uh, warm, strong, muscular. But the vata tends to be thin and frail and sensitive. Uh, the pitta is warm and muscular uh, and uh, tends to uh, be um, uh, also uh, on the dry side, but it depends on their next dosha d- determining whether they're uh, light or heavy. But tends to be on the light side, dry, but clearly warm. They have a strong appetite. These are the types that like raw vegetables or raw foods uh, because they have strong digestive fire, strong stomach acids, and they have a very strong appetite. This is, a, as a Christine made very clear, she can eat uh, a tremendous amount, and this is a Typical sign of a pitta, a very hungry in the morning, cannot miss meals, uh, needs to eat, and if they don't, they become very uh, irritable compared with the vata, who will become more lightheaded and spacey. When they don't eat, the pitta becomes more irritable and uh, edgy and has the strongest of all appetites and the best digestion of all body types. Hmm. It's getting interesting. You know, I'm trying. I'm, I'm trying. Especially I think, as we, I think we've messed we we've messed up on me. I don't think I'm pitta vata. I think I'm vata pitta now. <laughs> as the years have gone on, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I think everybody is probably as they're listening, they're checking off things and and trying to figure it all out. Uh, so maybe they need a little more help in the final aspect <laughs> before we, before we totally analyze Christina. Yes. <laughs> It is true. Most people are combinations like uh, vata pitta. A true oh. pitta would be a very muscular person. Most of the pe- people down, say, at the beach surfing at uh, four or five in the morning, these are pitta types because they're muscular, they're athletic, uh, they have a warm body temperature, they like to go swimming to cool down, and uh, they're very driven people, and they're about the only type that would get up at four or five in the morning and go to the ocean and jump in and go surfing. Even if I fit all the other categories, I would never fit those two. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny because I think the the first thing was like, oh, I know what my son is. He's Pitta. He always goes to warm my bed. (laughs) If I'm too cold, I got to bring him in my bed to warm up. (laughs) Yeah, you you just gave me another reason that people should have children. Yeah. But you, you got to make sure that, that they're pitta children, though. How can we do that, Kabir? It's uh, it's not in our hands, I'm afraid. <laughs> All right. Uh, so we have a third body type, right? Yeah, the kapha body type. This uh, is uh, more prevalent in uh, the West. Uh, 
Uh, well, the Vata body type is more prevalent in the uh, Far East, and the Pittas are more prevalent in the uh, Eastern European and Scandinavian societies. Here we have a lot of kapha types. The kapha type is uh, heavy, uh, oily, uh, and uh, tends to put on weight uh, easily. Uh, obviously, the kapha type is the one that becomes stocky, maybe like a, a wrestler. Um, even in good health, they tend to be still a stocky or for a woman, maybe a, a full-bodied or voluptuous, not uh, um, skinny. Um, and uh, they are the ones that have the, the easiest to put on weight. They're slow, a little slow in the morning, slow to get going. Then when they get going, they have the most endurance. So they're very good at hiking and uh, long distances, and they have the lowest appetite. These are the type of people who love to skip breakfast. And of course, many health practitioners who are kapha types tend to advocate skipping breakfast, just uh, like many uh, pitta. Health practitioners tend to advocate um, eating a lot of raw vegetables, and vata health practitioners tend to encourage uh, four or five meals throughout the day. What they're really communicating is their own body's uh, preferences. Uh, so the kapha body type is the most understood here in the West, and um, when people are looking for weight loss, uh, generally they're following more of a kapha guidelines. Uh, and we'll get into the uh, eating of each body type uh, next. Yeah, that's excellent. You know, as we... <laughs> <laughs> this is so much fun because it's true. You kind of look at it and kind of go, but wait a minute. <laughs> you know? Okay, so I think I'm a mutt. <laughs> <laughs> okay, is it's there a like, mutt body type? It's it's like okay, I'm not easily gained weight, but my endurance level is like way way up there, and I can skip every meal, <laughs> and I'm still going strong. <laughs> are there mutts? Well, well, there is a tridoshic uh, type where all three are relatively equal. Uh, but it is quite rare. And this person would uh, uh, change their diet more based on the seasons or their current health condition. If they had a, a certain health condition, say, for example, if they were overweight, it wouldn't really matter what body type they were, then they, to some degree, would follow a kapha diet. Say mm -hmm. they were a, a pitta by most of their lives and muscular and, and strong and warm and athletic, but later in life put on a lot of weight then they would uh, follow at least the pitta kapha diet because the kapha aspect of the diet would be the weight reduction diet. Mm. Mm. So it's all really about balance. I'm, I'm getting the idea that whatever body type you are, whether you're a pure one, two, or three, or a combination here and there, or you're, uh, or you're a tridosha, it's all about remaining within balance within your own body type does it is that what i'm getting from this so far that's that's right yes and of course uh, uh in an ayurvedic uh practitioner is looking for these uh deep imbalances which would be considered subclinical conditions that uh, would be of little concern to western medicine but to ayurveda these are the early signs of imbalance and then the, uh, what we call the dosha becomes aggravated, uh, where more symptoms appear, and then it becomes uh, overflowing. So it's uh, now uh, reaching other organs or other systems in the body. And then only in the uh, later stages of Ayurvedic assessment of disease does it produce the type of symptoms that uh, a medical doctor would be interested in treating. Mm-hmm. Well, as, you know, as we look at diets and, and eating and various things like that, many things come into the literature. We, we've all heard now about eating for your blood type, for example. And now we're learning uh, from breaking the genetic code and the genome that there's actually genetic uh, processes on people that digest fats better or digest proteins better or lack this enzyme to digest these things. How does this incorporate within the uh, dosha system? Well, Ayurvedic uh, dietary guidelines have uh, been around for 
uh, thousands of years. So they've really stood the test of time. And most of our diets that we see out there that are by published authors are generally diets that are working for that author. Um, so mm. it's what they personally found very effective for themselves. Uh, this helped reduce down um, weight for themselves or help uh, reduce down their cravings or help them solve their own health problems. So then they go on to advocate the same diet for everyone. But in Ayurveda, they don't follow this path. The Ayurvedic practitioner would never even discuss with the client what they're eating because it would be irrelevant. Say that again. I, I didn't quite get that. Uh, the, most the last part. Are people who are publishing books on oh, diet oh, okay. I are, see. are actually preaching what worked for them. Uh, I got so it so it worked well for them, but for an Ayurveda, you would never inform somebody what you're eating because this is uh, irrelevant. Okay. Once you see the vast differences in people's uh, digestive system and uh, health, I get it now. <clears throat> so do we do we want to discuss a little more of the body type, or do you want to get in a little bit of the dietary part of it now for a few moments? Yeah, we could talk about the the dietary different uh, rec uh, recommendations for each body type and to right. some degree why. If we were to start with uh, return back to Vata, the Vata, sure. we have to remember first uh, is uh, based on its gunas, are the, is it light, uh, dry, and uh, cold. So basically you're choosing uh, foods that are uh, opposite of these qualities. In other words, balancing the uh, vata type. So the vata type, they're very cold. They get cold, cold hands and feet. In the wintertime, they get very cold. So basically, uh, you recommend them have all warm foods, no cold foods, no uh, refrigerated foods, no cold salads, all soups, all stews. Um, and this makes a, a big difference. And of course, stews or soups are also a very liquid and moist. And Almost all vata types have dry skin, tendency towards constipation, and um, don't uh, uh, have enough uh, liquid often in their diet. So all dried items like a dried fruit would be removed from the diet, um, and juicy uh, fruits would be more recommended. And by having more warm foods, more juicy foods, more oily foods, then the dryness is countered, the coldness is countered. And even having more starchy vegetables, which is completely against what mostly is advised here in the West for weight loss, uh, would be more advisable to the vata because the vata is a skinny, often underweight, uh, thin skin, and sometimes bony, uh, and has very little body fat, and they become very anxious and nervous between meals. So Ayurveda generally advocates a little extra body fat, an extra 5 or 10 pounds, um, so many vatas, uh, from an Ayurvedic perspective, are underweight. Uh, so many vatas who come to me with uh, vata-dominant types who come to me with insomnia, anxiety, that's usually what gets them here. Uh, I always uh, strive to put on uh, 5 or 10 pounds on them. Often they are a little reluctant when I mention that I want to put 10 pounds on them. But uh, once they start eating the vata diet, which is uh, a lot of grains, uh, rice, starchy vegetables, root vegetables, um, and uh, cooked foods, and even four meals a day if they're thin, will put on weight uh, quite rapidly, um, as well as uh, recommending uh, ghee and other dairy products. Hmm. So interesting. this is basically about the diets, to some degree, a weight-gaining diet. Um, and I've had many, many vatas who were frail, weak, either through illness or digestive problems or old age. And uh, just by putting them on the vata diet, more nourishing diet, four meals a day, warm, and with more dairy and starchy vegetables, puts on weight very, very fast. And just that extra 10 pounds uh, will make a vata more balanced, more calm, sleep better, and uh, feel much better. Wow. <laughs> Now, are we moving on to the pitta next? <laughs> now, the pitta. So, uh, one other comment about the vata. The vata's typical co uh, health complaints 
uh, or imbalances, we could say, are in the colon. The colon is a sensitive area for the vata, so they tend to get a bloating and gas. So uh, cruciferous vegetables are generally not recommended for the vata unless they're well cooked in a stew. And uh, many vatas will admit that uh, broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage do give them gas and bloating. However, they tend to continue to eat them because they uh, think that they're uh, healthy or think that they, this cruciferous family helps fight cancer. So they're eating cabbage <laughs> and broccoli every single day uh, because they read that it is uh, uh, healthy. So I often have to tell the client to stop thinking and start listening to your body. And does your body say that you like eating broccoli? And they say, no, it gives me gas and bloating. So I said, there you go. So stop thinking, listen to the body, and don't have uh, cruciferous vegetables, and you will have less uh, gas and bloating. Um, and so, you know, this is a, a common in our society today where we're uh, getting all of our information about our diet from reading the Internet and other people. And I always am emphasizing over and over with my clients, listen to the body. What I'm doing is understanding their body, understanding their digestive system, the condition of their digestive system, and then matching the foods that will work the best for their digestive system uh, state and type so they can better digest food and these imbalances can be avoided. Ayurveda focuses on optimum digestion, not on nutrition. And this is what often confuses people when they first uh, work with an Ayurvedic diet is because they're still thinking in terms of nutrition, that something is nutritious, so they should eat it. But in Ayurveda, uh, the emphasis on digestion, the maximum absorption of uh, nutrients through good digestion, and of course, uh, healthy elimination, which would be uh, two or three well-formed uh, bowel movements a day. This is the fundamental objection, objective of uh, Ayurvedic diet is to improve digestion. We have uh, another uh, diet to go to? And that would be a pitta. Pitta, yeah. again, is uh, warm. So generally, the, the cooling foods are more recommended, um, particularly in the summertime. Summer is the hot, and a pitta is hot. So you want to have cooling foods. We know uh, juicy, cooling vegetables like uh, cucumbers and uh, are very cooling. Uh, sweet fruits, dates, figs, uh, papaya are very uh, cooling. And mm. uh, we know that citrus is uh, very heating due to its niacin effect uh, on the body. And it's, it has an irritating aspect to it. So citrus is generally not recommended for the pitta. The pitta types, the true pitta type has a lot of trouble with acid reflex, heartburn, um, because they have strong stomach acids, just like the vata has the weak colon and the sensitive intestinal tract. The pitta has a strong stomach acids, which is why they have such a strong appetite and uh, can eat so much and not put on weight. Uh, but at the same time, these stomach acids can be, uh, can be too much, and uh, this is where they get the heartburn and the acid reflex. So they want to eat foods that keep the stomach acid down um, and not stimulate it. So uh, pungent vegetables, uh, hot vegetables, uh, or pungent spices would aggravate it, like chili, black pepper, mustard seed. These would all increase uh, stomach acids and possibly uh, would aggravate um, uh, the, the pitta and create more acid reflux. Almost all true pittas have problems with acid reflux and heartburn almost inevitably throughout their lives. So generally, they don't like spicy foods, pepper, vinegar. We know that many people advocate apple cider vinegar, and it is very helpful for digestion, and it does stimulate uh, digestion and bowel movements. But for the pitta, to have apple cider vinegar, particularly in the morning, would only increase his stomach acids and uh, make him uh, uh, aggravate his tendency to have uh, acid reflux. So many pittas have approached me and said, you're not going to tell me to have apple cider vinegar, are you? And I said, no, because you're a pitta, I would not recommend it. And then they said, okay, you know me. And then they're happy. But the, many pittas are very scared of uh, vinegar and uh, uh, cautious of anybody who tells them to have it. The other category the pitta needs to avoid is uh, uh, the nightshades, which are tomatoes 
eggplant, bell pepper. Uh, and because these are irritating uh, to the pitta, and we, of course, now knows it, know that uh, tomatoes, particularly tomato sauce, can contribute greatly to acid reflux and heartburn because it clears away the mucosa of the uh, stomach lining and uh, allows more acidity. And this is what, not what the pitta wants. So the pitta gets a cooling diet, generally three meals a day is sufficient. They have a big appetite, so three good-sized meals with sweet fruits in between, uh, mint teas, uh, cooling uh, teas, not strong teas, not uh, uh, with uh, uh, clove or, or, or too much ginger. These would not be uh, suitable for the pitta. The pitta likes bland food, almost like baby food. And uh, many people who are married to pittas uh, realize that you have to give them very, very bland food that's not spicy, and they're most happy with that. Mm, okay, I'm working away from pitta. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, I was thinking that's where I live. <laughs> you know, Kabir, it's really interesting what you said, uh, and I think this is a really important point, uh, that it's not about nutrition, it's about digestion. So many of the topics that we talk about, we're talking about and thinking about it in terms of nutrition, but I really like what you said here. And, it, and as you're explaining the diets more, it's making more sense to me thinking about it from a digestive point of view rather than a nutritional point of view, because we know a lot of different things have nutrition in them, but that doesn't mean it's good for us and vice versa. Exactly. And uh, this is why of course, people are very happy with the Ayurvedic diet is because the practitioner is not preaching what worked for them. The practitioner is uh, looking to uh, recommend what will work best uh, for the, the client. And they're very happy with these recommendations because um, when it's done properly and the client themselves is listening to their body, they like the foods recommended. Uh, mm -hmm. by the Ayurvedic practitioners. These are their preferred foods anyway. So nobody's going against their uh, natural tendency of what they eat. Uh, when I'm talking to a Avata person and I say, don't have cabbage and broccoli and Brussels sprouts raw, they say, well, tell me something I don't know. I, I learned that 10 years ago and I, I don't touch them. Or you tell the pitta, don't have garlic and onions and chili food, chili, and they go, yeah, of course. I mean, that really bothers me. And uh, sometimes we can't even understand, if we're not that type, why this person doesn't like it. For example, uh, eggplant. You tell a pitta, don't have eggplant. And I love eggplant. I'm not a pitta type. And, uh, but many pittas say, yes, I don't know why. I just don't like eggplant. So hmm. uh, when parents bring me their children, um, often the children is, are a different body type than their parents. And uh, the mother is, uh, with all good intentions, encouraging the child to eat their vegetables or eat their cauliflower or eat their tomatoes. When, in fact, when I meet the child, I say to the mother, uh, well, this child is a uh, vata, for example, so you're better off to cook the vegetables and avoid cabbage and broccoli, Brussels sprouts and kale. And the child sitting right there, maybe seven, eight, nine years of age, will say, I told you, mom, I don't like cabbage and broccoli, and, uh, but they're okay in a soup. And the mother is, is stunned because she's been encouraging the child for years to eat their broccoli. And I've I just could... told the mother that this is not compatible with the diet of the child, uh, with the child's digestive system. Uh, same for I just tomatoes. imagined, I'm uh, sorry. Yeah, I just imagined a child standing up and high-fiving you when you say, <laughs> <laughs> don't oh, yeah, feed him broccoli. <laughs> I've had it. I've had it happen many times. The, the with a pitta, a child. Uh, the I remember just recently a young boy. He was uh, quite active, running around my office, playing with toys and things. And I didn't think he was listening. And I told the mother, I said, "Yeah, tomatoes are not suitable for him." And he yelled out from the other side of the room, "I told you, mom, I ate them." <laughs> so those when, pitta when, kids. <laughs> Yeah, he, was, he had that aggressive attitude to him. Uh, but uh, this is where the diet works. And then the mother learns, well, I just can't be pushing 
certain foods on my child, I have to understand that his digestive system type is different than mine, and uh, some foods will be more suitable for him, and uh, some will not be. And of course, this is uh, our biggest flaw in Western uh, dietary uh, practices and nutritional counseling is that we're all uh, encouraging uh, foods that are a, a kind of a one-size-fits-all uh, approach, that everybody should eat uh, five helpings of vegetables. Everybody should have three helpings of uh, uh, fruit, but they're not uh, distinguishing between which fruit and which vegetables. Well, Ayurveda is very uh, distinct, and not only on the person's body type, but also based on the season, which is a factor, and um, um, also based on the person's current health condition is a factor. In fact, Ayurveda breaks uh, vegetables down into uh, five parts, the roots, uh, the stems, the leaves, the flowers, and the seeds. So uh, for the vata type, who's thin and frail, is more recommending root vegetables, which are more starchy and put on more weight. And for the pitta uh, type, they're recommending more uh, leafy greens, which are more lighter and cooler and more used in a, a salad, which are often cool. And for the kapha type, more of the uh, flowers, which are the best for weight loss. Do you feel like we've covered all three of them a little bit, or is there one more to go? Yeah, I don't think we did kapha uh, dietary guidelines. Kapha there's, dietary there's guidelines. There's so much are... in what you're saying; it's hard to. <laughs> <laughs> don't you find that, Christina? There's so many great pieces of knowledge in here that. Yes, go well, ahead. We're just touching the tip of the iceberg. I know that. <laughs> I'm afraid so. Yeah, uh, and and the kapha the kapha uh, body type is the most and the is most understood here in the West. And most of our weight loss programs are very similar to the kapha diet. So we have to understand the kapha's uh, nature. Kapha is slow, heavy, slow digestion, slow to get going in the morning, uh, slow metabolism, um, and uh, slow uh, bowel movements, usually just one a day, and tends to have a more oily skin and thicker skin. So to counter this, uh, tendency to put on weight, um, lighter uh, vegetables and fruits are necessary. So uh, less sweet fruits, more sour fruits. Of course, this is a lower on the glycemic index because uh, kaphas tend to have a problem with, of course, not just uh, a weight gain, but high blood sugar, uh, obesity, um, and uh, cholesterol issues. This is their uh, tendency. Um, so uh, vegetables. Uh, the cruciferous family, which is a lot of flowers, the cabbage, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, these are very good for the kapha, which we know are very good for weight loss. The kapha um, generally is not recommended to have uh, much uh, dairy. Dairy is very congestive. A lot of kaphas get allergies, nasal congestion, upper respiratory problems, and many kaphas have determined themselves that dairy uh, is not suitable for them. So many people advocating no dairy are uh, basically a kapha people, and they found that this is not suitable for them. So then they uh, recommend this uh, to everybody. But definitely for the uh, kapha type, dairy is not suitable. Kapha does the best on a vegetarian diet using more legumes and beans instead of uh, animal protein. And this, of course, uh, helps with weight loss. We all know that if we had beans uh, instead of uh, animal protein, this would create more fiber great uh, better bowel movements, and it's uh, excellent for weight loss because there's no fat in beans. So uh, at the same time, uh, Ayurveda doesn't advocate any extremism. They don't advocate no dairy unless you're lactose intolerant, which would be mostly for uh, Asians, Africans, uh, would more typically uh, have lactose intolerance. So unless you're lactose intolerance, uh, um, Ayurveda does advocate some amount of dairy, even for the kapha even if it's just a little ghee and minimal amounts, but uh, definitely not a cheese and uh, heavy dairy products. Interesting. Uh, I, what, what does Ayurvedic medicine think of um, vegan? Because well, that's vegan cutting diet out all a, eggs and dairy. Yes, the Ayurveda never uh, advocates any extreme dieting. It's all a balance. So even... For the kapha type, who does the best on a, let's say, a very low dairy diet, um, this would only include some ghee 
maybe some yogurt with meals. Uh, but uh, I do not advocate a vegan diet, particularly for children. It's very tricky um, for the vegan to get uh, enough uh, protein and healthy fat without dairy. I'm afraid what's happened to dairy in this country is not so much that dairy itself uh, is a, a problem. If we all had cows in our backyards, I'm sure we would all be enjoying good, healthy, uh, warm milk. Uh, but unfortunately, we don't. So our milk is uh, homogenized, pasteurized, and then refrigerated. And of course, the cows themselves are a pump full of uh, hormones and other things. So it's this poor quality of dairy in this country that has made us, I would say, overreact and throw the baby out with the bathwater and cut out all dairy. Now, of course, in many uh, health conditions, uh, dairy can be very irritating to the intestinal lining and can create too much uh, mucus, and in uh, many cases, it's not recommended. But uh, even that can be countered, say, uh, with uh, putting ginger and spices in your milk would counter the um, congestive uh, qualities of it. So many people who are uh, vegan, particularly the Vata type, who, where Ayurveda recommends uh, the most dairy, I tell them to get raw milk and raw cheese uh, and they're very surprised and they think that they cannot have any milk, that it gives them gas and bloating. But once they have a raw milk and then they warm it up, not have it cold, but warm it up and even put a little ginger in it, uh, cardamom, cumin, mm -hmm. they uh, find very quickly that they love it and they're drinking it uh, every night and it's helping them sleep. And I've helped many vatas to improve their sleep. Uh, by having uh, warm milk with spices at night. Um, and of course, it is help put on weight. It counteracts uh, dryness and also creates more uh, mucus in the intestinal lining, which uh, counters uh, dryness and uh, irritation. Mm, that sounds delicious. Kabir, <laughs> mm. uh, when we talk about these body types and diets, and clearly it seems best to go to see an Ayurvedic practitioner if you really are serious about this. But I know now in the age of the internet and Googling, people can go online somewhere or go fill out a form to figure out their body type and then their diet. How do you feel about that, Going on, somebody going online and checking off is your hair dry? Do you, are you cold? Do you like this? Do you like that? And then at the end, that someone says to you, you're this or that. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you can have mixed results. Uh, many of my clients already come to me with um, what they believe is their body type by after taking some online quiz. And uh, often they're right. Uh, other times they're confused, but mostly they're going in the right direction. But mm -hmm. in fact, to use it uh, therapeutically, um, you really need uh, a practitioner because it's not just your uh, body type that has to be considered. That's what you're born with, your initial state of your body's constitution. Uh, but you have your imbalances. Um, so like I said earlier, you could be a pitta or a vata and be overweight. Uh, but even it's not your tendency and often a pitta vata will tell me, yeah, most of my life up until 40s, I, I was always thin. And I, now I'm I put on all this weight due to some uh, event or, or circumstances and change in their lives. So then I know that this is not their normal state to have on weight. It's going to be easy to get the weight off because this is not their, uh, uh, their normal nature. So, um, but I may put them on a uh, say, a, a vata kapha diet or a pitta kapha diet because I'm trying to work on bringing down their weight because that's their current health condition. Same for acid reflux and, and heartburn or inflammation and pain. These are all a typical pitta conditions. So you could be a vata, skinny little, thin, nervous, insomniac vata running around. But if you have, uh, start have, you're having acid reflux at this time in your life and, uh, and stomach pains, then we would want to put this person on a pitta-reducing or pitta-pacifying diet to some degree. Uh, so then we would put them on, say, a vata-pitta diet. And by changing them from just a pure vata diet to a vata-pitta diet, it would take out all the spicy and irritating 
of foods which would help them with their intestinal problem until they recovered. Wow. Um, Kabir, we have a couple of questions that came in. Oh, please. Um, okay, this first one. As we get older, I notice that eyes tend to get dull with more pronounced veins, but I see some very healthy yogis with bright white eyes. Is there a specific target area of the body that should be looked at, like the liver or kidney? We're talking about veins where? In the eyes? In the eyes. So, so it seems like this question is very focused about the eyes and the dulling of the eyes and the veins, the, the more veins that are seen. Well, it's hard to really answer that question specifically, but uh, bloodshot eyes uh, um, are often a sign of, of an overwhelmed uh, liver, and the liver would be of concern. Um, it can also be a type of uh, um, allergy or a reaction taking place, I would have to have uh, really much more uh, information. But the eyes do reveal uh, a, a lot uh, about a person's uh, health condition. I would also add that uh, the eyes certainly, as Kabir says, uh, can reflect many things going on in the body, including even hypertension, for example. Uh, sometimes the blood vessels that you see are are one of the opportunities to understand that that's happening in a lot of your blood vessels, like the ones around your brain and your heart. If you're seeing a problem in your eyes, sometimes uh, it could be an indicator, but in many areas. I think it's a very interesting question, and we would like maybe to get something more specific in terms of if they had another question related to that, more specific. What was the mm -hmm. other question? I, I hope that answered it for the person. And if we didn't, please uh, ask your next question. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, needing some suggestions. For active, healthy women in their late 40s, showing signs of hormone deficiency, such as lethargic, focus and memory changes, and weight gain. Well, of course, the uh, female endocrine system is quite complex and uh, beyond the uh, scope of my expertise, as it is for most of practitioners, I believe. In every uh, area. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, we will, uh, Ayurveda is uh, still, maybe we need a few thousand more years to understand the female hormonal system. Correct. But, That's way uh, too early. I am not going to comment. <laughs> very, very complex. Uh, so it does matter that the period in which the, the woman is going through, whether this person is uh, reaching uh, perimenopause or um, if they're, you know, still in childbearing years and um, information about their menstrual cycle would be of value. Um, but most I found through years of experience, women who have extreme, uh, say, PMS or menopausal symptoms or hormonal imbalances uh, generally can be traced back to uh, long-standing nutritional uh, deficiencies. Now that, of course, is a whole other subject, but I always like to address nutrition first in these hormonal imbalances. Ayurveda doesn't advocate any type of replacement therapy, so we don't advocate, say, hydrochloric acid uh, for stomach uh, low stomach acids. We advocate spices. We don't advocate, you know, melatonin. Um, we, we advocate different herbs to uh, stimulate uh, these glands in the brain. And we don't advocate hormone replacement. We advocate uh, or use uh, herbal formulas. So, so all throughout the world, in my extensive travels, and I've, I've lived in over 10 countries and traveled over 64 countries, I found that almost everywhere, um, except here in the United States and to uh, a lesser degree, Western Europe, women are using herbs um, for all of these hormonal imbalances. It only seems to be here in the West where the women are confused on what to do. Uh, when, I'm in, when I'm in other countries, it's, it's a non-issue. They have their herbs, which their mother gave them at um, the beginning of menstruation. They drink this tea. After menstruation, they drink this tea. Uh, during childbirth, they have these foods and these teas. And uh, sometimes they're not even familiar with the herbs that they're drinking or what they're taking. But uh, there is just tradition for them at that point. 
and the women tend to pass this knowledge down from mother to daughter, and uh, you hear a lot less concerns about these uh, so-called hormonal imbalances in third world countries where they're using traditional uh, foods, uh, therapies, and herbs. And no doubt Ayurveda has a, a large amount of Ayurvedic herbs to help with a hormonal imbalancing. Mm-hmm. Um, on a general level, uh, ashwagandha, chatavari, these would be the base herbs used for uh, hormonal imbalances uh, for most women. Mm. And, and it was uh, so interesting uh, in your last uh, session presentation with us, you had said how people would go out and just buy capsules of like turmeric and start taking turmeric, not realizing that there is actual balance to go around that as well. So even if these women went out to get those herbs, it's still about creating the balance for their individual systems. Isn't that correct? Yes. And some, they have to take in consideration, you know, their, uh, their own body type. Some of these herbs could create weight gain um, when you're already an overweight person. So that has to be considered. Um, and uh, you have other health conditions and factors that need to be considered. So uh, self-diagnosing with herbs, uh, particularly single herbs in large amounts, uh, can uh, lead a person astray and even imbalance them in other ways. So most herbalists are not using single herbs. They're combining and making formulas. And maybe the first two or three herbs are there to address the health concern. Uh, two or three more herbs are there to maybe balance the effects of those herbs on that person. And maybe uh, a few more like cardamom or cumin uh, are added just for to help improve the digestion and the absorption of the herbs. So having a herbal formula of seven to 12 herbs will be much more effective than taking a single herb by themselves, which again seems to be a, a Western practice of uh, falling in love with one herb and then just taking it in large amounts. Mm. Kabir, there's a, there are studies going on in medical schools right now uh, with women that are going through perimenopause, having exactly what the, the, uh, the caller in wrote about memory loss and uh, other changes, hot flashes, weight gain, et cetera. And they're trying to do a, a study on uh, soy-based products that have phytoestrogens in them, using that as a concept rather than the traditional hormone replacement therapy. When you're using uh, herbs and spices, are they working in the same way or are they working on a different system? In other words, if the herb that you're giving has is an estrogen type of an herb, it's essentially hormone replacement therapy. And just with a different name. So is this, when you're using these herbs, are they doing that or are they working on a different system? Oh, that's a very good question. Yeah, if we just look at Western herbs, which are more understood and, uh, by uh, today, we can look at um, herbs like a vitex berry or a chase berry, which are considered phytoestrogens, wild yam root, which is also considered a, a well-known uh, 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 estrogen um, and, uh, supportive uh, herb. And if you look at uh, PMS um, teas in a, in a, in a, from a Western formula, and there's many companies uh, like uh, Yogi Teas and Medicinal um, Herbs, the, uh, Traditional Medicinals, the name of the company, that are making teas for uh, menopause, hot flashes, and PMS, you will see these phytoestrogen herbs in there, a vitex berry, a black cohosh, wild yam root, dong kwai. These are traditional Western um, herbs used um, as phytoestrogens or they're precursors to producing these estrogens. The, in uh, medicine, and I know in many, many professions, we always have humor and jokes within our profession. I wonder, in the Ayurvedic traditions, are there, is there some kind of humor about the different types of personalities, the vata, the pitta, the kapha? Oh, oh yes. Yeah, good. Okay, so here we go. You have the, <laughs> the, the, the vata type, and these are like little um, ways to remember them. 
particularly for teaching children. So for, for Vata is a very active person. So they say Vata here, Vata gone. So the Vata is very fast. Vata here, Vata gone. Huh? And then you say uh, Kapha, who is generally slow and more lethargic. We say Kapha here, Kapha still here. <laughs> and then for okay. uh, Pitta, they say uh, Pitta tends to be very intense and passionate. Uh, so we say uh, Pitta happy, Pitta mad. <laughs> so these are the ways to see the, the, the differences in, in these types by this uh, type of little riddle. I like that. You know, as, as I was growing up and, you know, talking with a lot of people, somebody will eventually say, what's your sign? You know, I'm a Libra or I'm a water sign or something like that. And then in traditional Chinese astrology, I'm a fire dragon or I'm a rabbit. Does the, does, do the doshas fit into that in terms of when you put all of these things together, how you date people, how you're emotional, your psychological makeup, is all of this tied in? Well, in Ayurveda, astrology is a, a very large part. It's not what I studied. But in, in India, nobody does a, a wedding with, uh, without checking the dates against astrology. Before they marry, they're checking each other's astrology charts, and astrologists are all over India, um, and this is their specialty. In uh, my case, we're focused on uh, the uh, digestive system in particular and overall balancing of the body, so it's much more a physical. I think uh, many of these uh, uh, astrology is focusing more on personality traits well, Ayurveda uh, dosha and body types is more focused on uh, physical qualities of a person. Is there an energy that flows through the body? Like in, again, traditional Asian medicine, they may talk about chi and there's prana. Is there an energy that is working in the body of the kapha that's different than the pitta or the vata? Or is it there's something related to that? In the sense, the reason I'm asking this question is, can you control this sometimes? Well, yeah, this is an integral part of Ayurveda, in fact, is to improve this uh, energy flow, um, ojas, the, 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 the life energy of the person. So, uh, and when the person is uh, more balanced um, with their diet and, of course, has what they need nutritionally, we can see... Uh, there's more uh, energy, which can be reflected in the skin, the eyes, the atmosphere of the person. So obviously, an unhealthy person, we can see this uh, low energy or prana, a low ojas. And uh, when the person is healthy and vibrant, they are glowing, so to speak, then we can see that this is uh, more uh, uh, reflective of a healthy person with a, a good energy. And for each of the different doshas or body types, for, for them to achieve that, they have to uh, follow a different uh, path of uh, balancing and opening of uh, different uh, energy channels within their body uh, to achieve this. Just like uh, yoga or hatha yoga is part of Ayurveda, and it was initially prescribed as medicine, not done in groups as it's done here in the West, but done individually where each uh, person would be given three or four asanas to do. And part of the reason for these asanas is to help with uh, uh, opening up these energy channels and improving this uh, uh, life force within the person. We're speaking with Kabir Southwick, our professional health consultant, Ayurvedic and naturopathic practitioner. And Kabir, it's coming near the end of the show, and uh, we know you had a great health tip for us last time. I'm hoping you have another health tip for us today. Well, uh, I have a lot of health tips. Uh, I don't know why it's on my head today, but uh, I recommend everybody uh, to uh, cleanse the colon. That's right, cleanse the colon. It's not a, a pretty subject, but uh, <laughs> it is a very important uh, unfortunately, in Ayurveda, the views are very different than in the West. In Ayurveda, they recommend using enemas, 
and using oil in the enema. And I see this as a common uh, problem here in the West of uh, excessive cleaning, uh, particularly through colon hydrotherapy. So Ayurveda mostly uses herbs and uh, enemas with uh, oil. But it's one of the first steps in detoxification and first steps in uh, cleansing the body. And uh, over the years, doing uh, colon cleanses for people, of course, they're adjusted for each body type. The colon cleanse we would give for a vata is very different than what we'd give for a kapha and for a pitta. Um, and the health benefits are phenomenal and very quick. And it's a very fast way to uh, improve your health is to improve your uh, detox or we should say cleanse the colon. And, and how often are those cleanses given? Like, like, is there a series? You know how many times is there's a series, like you would do it like three times in a row or, and then stop for a few months and then like, resume again? Well, the best time to uh, detoxify and cleanse in general is in the spring. And the worst time would be um, in the early uh, winter. So now would not be the suitable time to cleanse the colon. Um, now's the time where we need heavier foods. We need to eat a little bit more, more oily foods to keep ourselves a, a thick in our skin, keep ourselves warm, put on a little extra fat during the winter. And then in the springtime, this is a time to detox. And uh, starting with cleansing the colon is recommended. And uh, we can see that I'll be giving, I give workshops every year on detoxification. And the spring is when I do the colon cleanse. Oh, that's going to be fun. <laughs> we sh we'll have you back <laughs> something to look forward to you know one uh, interesting that you brought that up i don't think we've had a health tip related to this before but uh, a lot of people ask me how i feel about uh, colon cleanses and detoxifications and part of it for me really is if you're going to do something like that after you do it you have to be more conscious about not becoming toxic again Otherwise, it just becomes like a weight loss diet and then weight gain and weight loss and weight gain. If you're continuously putting toxins in and then trying to detoxify, that's not quite as good. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yes. Well, Ayurveda has a little broader view on what's toxic. Uh, as we know, with the digestive system, we are never capable of digesting 100% of the food that we digest, even very good digestion still has some undigested food, which, of course, would be evident uh, by testing the nutrients remaining in the feces. Uh, but uh, that said, all undigested food becomes toxic to the body. So when digestion is poor, um, when you have gas, bloating, or particularly constipation, and constipation would be uh, one or less bowel movements a day, um, then you have a, a high degree of uh, toxicities building up in the intestinal tract, which, of course, can absorb back into the bloodstream and, and burden the liver, the kidney, and uh, the other eliminating organs. So just not digesting food completely creates toxins. Mm -hmm. Good point. Uh for all of you that are listening today, Kabir is going to be with us again in January of 2014 and again in February of 2014. So we're looking forward to that. I'm very grateful to our special guest, Kabir Southwick, who has given us a lot of things to think about in the last episode. And again today, great for health and healing. Uh, I'm very thankful and appreciative of my healers and my teachers as they've allowed me on my journey. Kabir, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your expertise and wisdom. And thanks to Yoga Hub and all of our listeners and viewers who participate with us. So until next week, when we will be interviewing uh, Lynn Cagle, who is a specialist and world's authority in autism. I think it's going to be a very mm. interesting show. I recommend people really check in. Uh, until Next week, when we search another quadrant of the healthcare galaxy, take care, Kabir, and thank you so much. I wish you all thank you. optimal health. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much, Kabir. Now we'll we'll just have a further conversation thank you, here. <laughs>
our post-event conversation. <laughs> yeah, those of you that are still listening, keep listening. <laughs> keep Think listening. It's, good. it's so much fun. Uh, thank you, Kabir. And of course, thank you, Dr. Glenn Woolman, for another wonderful show. And uh, to Segovia Smith and the Yoga Hub team for making this all possible. And to each and every one of you for joining us in this new platform of education and information. We're grateful for your continuous support and look forward to hearing your feedback on how we can serve you better. We invite you to join us live on Tuesdays for Magical Medical Tour at 10.30 a.m. Pacific, 1.30 p.m. Eastern, Wednesdays for Trinity of Life at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, followed every other week with Flowing into Awareness with Anatara. Please connect with Dr. Glenn Woolman by following him on Twitter, at Glenn Woolman, and of course, through his own site, glennwoolman.com, where you can learn about his metaphor, Square Breath. And of course, you can also connect with our wonderful guest speaker, Kabir Southwick, at naturalhealingohai.com, naturalhealingohai.com. We'd love to hear any feedback or suggestions. Give us a call at 818-LET'S-TALK. 818-LET'S-TALK. Until next time, namaste. Namaste.